I don't know what secession planning looked like at the organization, so I can't comment on that. But it would feel surprising to me that all along, the plan of the company was to take the CEO and have them manage their Bitcoin holdings. <laughs> This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. How you doing this fine morning? You know, I'm having some challenges. I I have to strongly fight back calling people stupid, which is not a good thing to do in life and probably not actually true. So it's going to be a tough morning for me, Douglas. I've never known you to hold that back. (laughs) (laughs) What makes this time different? I don't know. This you could be in for an entertaining episode then. (laughs) Little tease there. Maybe because I know what topic you're talking about. I know what topic you're talking about. So we'll stay away from it and we'll see if you're able to stay away from it as the as the podcast goes on. As always, please rate and review. Helps people to find us. SkippyDougals at gmail.com. That's where we get that listener mail. At SkippyDougals on Twitter, you can also hit us up on. Fishbowl topic number one. Let's go. I'm excited. So I want to follow up on something that you brought up, a question that you raised a few weeks back. You said, the Fed just keeps hitting with these interest rate increases. Just do it at once, player. Why not just do it at once? Right. And so we, we pontificated and chatted about that a little bit. And then this past week, I came across a post, another no opinion post, right? Noah, as in the name Noah opinion post yeah. came across that where he asked the same question. The title of it is, why doesn't the Fed just hike 200 basis points all at once? So we chitty chatted <laughs> about that and then read this piece. And so I thought it'd be interesting, like as uh, as just a follow up, if we could look at the reasons that he found of like arguments out there in the economic hemisphere that he found about folks that have said, this is why you shouldn't do it. And then a thought as to why you should. Yeah. Shout out to Noah. Thanks for listening. <laughs> See what I <laughs> there did there, Diggles? All right. Yeah, I, I did. Go. I did. All right. So to summarize the, uh, the conversation that we had before, and also this summarizes um, the, the context of the piece here is that the market the market expectations are set right now such that the federal funds rate, which is the interest rate that the Fed changes, should hit somewhere between 3.5 and 4% over the next few quarters, either by the end of this year, early next year, right? So that's the market expectations. The Federal Reserve has also come out and said that same thing. Like that's kind of what their expectations are, depending on which branch of the Fed you're talking about. So then the big question is, if right now we're we're at like 2.5 or whatever, uh, somewhere around there. and uh, 2.25 to 2.5 is the range. There you go. Yeah. So if we're there right now, and you're saying that we're going to get to 3.5 to 4, just jack it all up at once, right? Like that's So that's the context. Why not? If, we, if everyone expects it, just do it. So first, I'm going to overview the points that Noah brought up in here that he found that economists have said as to why not. Okay, we could chat about those first. Mm-hmm. So one is, if you do a big hike, because everything is set up with expectations. If you do a big hike, then the market's going to expect that you will do more big hikes in the future. So the market will not view that this hike is the big hike. It's always going to say that what you're doing right now is a part of something bigger. And so it'll expect that hike to come 
multiple times. That's that's the first reason that Noah found out in the econosphere. Okay. I mean, yeah, keep them coming because I'm not convinced on that one. I mean, <laughs> okay. Well, there's only, there's only two in the, the this camp. So, so that's the first. The second is we don't actually know what's happening in the economy at any given point in time. Like we're so oblivious to what's happening in the economy that you should be cautious so you don't overstep accidentally because you actually are disconnected from the goings-ons in the, the economy. That's the second one. What do you think about that one? You got to say that one again. Do you know what the economy is? <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> so there's the economy. The economy's happening. And we see we see various indicators of what's occurring in the economy. But but we don't really know what's happening. Like we're not sure because everything's lagging. Like we're not really sure what's going on. And so when it comes to raising interest rates, you should be careful because we don't know if this thing's on the incline. We don't know if it's on the decline. We don't know if it's just plateaued out. Like we're not sure. So, yeah, so don't don't I mean, get put the britches. Do on, I yell? Know? Do I yell at Noah or do I yell at you for this point? Because I'm not I'm not the least bit convinced. We don't know. We know inflation's at nine percent, and interest rates as of two weeks ago were at like one point seven five or no one point five really. Like <laughs> it's. The delta is so great that, yes, we don't know with certainty exactly where the economy stands at this moment in time. But we know that we're so far off from where we need to be that a drastic change is needed. And so just do that quicker rather than slower. So what's interesting is the the first of two points that are on the other side as to why to do it is effectively the flip. It's it's basically what you what you just said because it's the flip yeah. of the the reason why you wouldn't do it, but what it's saying is so you're you're saying like we do know these things, and the first reason as to why we should is that we don't know what's going on in the economy, but there are some things that we do, like yeah yeah. So it's kind of like we since we since you don't know what's going on, you best get ahead of it because yep. you're not sure. What you know is that something seems like it might be running away. Like that's what we know, and we know that our the weapons that we brought out to fight it so far are not nearly mm-hmm. like, I don't know, they're, they look they look weak. They look like some pittance, you know, com- comparison. So we know that. So you better get ahead of it. And the, the example they brought up was uh, Ben Bernanke back in, in 2008 because he said, so uh, the Fed had been cutting interest rates like slowly for a little while. And then Lehman went under. It was like Ben Bernanke immediately took rates from wherever they I can't remember where they were. It was like two and a half or three percent to zero. Like it yeah, was yeah. like, yeah, we, we don't know. We're not sure exactly what's going on, but that don't look good. So yep. like let's get ahead of it. I've now gonna turn this into a a campaign for Skippy to be the the Federal Chair Reserve. I mean, because that's the perfect example of things are so you you don't know with certainty exactly where the economy sits, but when things are so out of whack that you know rates have to go to 5% and you're currently at 1.5 as we were three weeks ago or whatever. Like, just jack the thing up. This started as a thought experiment to me and now I'm nearly convinced that this is what should have happened. We should have gone up like 200 plus basis points the last time there is rates because you have to get this under control and you have to get this under control as soon as possible. And you've already given people enough warning. Like, like you're saying, everyone says, oh, it's going to be 3 to 4% by the end of the year. So people know this. You've given them months to digest 
their corporate strategy should have evolved. Fix it and fix it now instead of waiting for the next time they get together in Jackson Hole or wherever uh, to drink their martinis and raise it <laughs> <in> another <laughs> 0.75. Before I get to the last point, which is also kind of related to your Jackson Hole martini point, before I get to the last point, though, I just pictured you as the, the chair of yeah. the Federal Reserve or really in any public position that has to come out and talk because if so, we should make sure this happens. Let's do whatever we can to make sure it happens. Yeah. If when that happens, we need like another microphone on the side that I can have, it just ends up being like a like a heckler situation where like you, you get up and you say things at, like we could even reverse it. Whoever is in that position. I fully support it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, this should be for all major positions like president, Fed chair, reserve, any CEO of a Fortune 500 company, there should always be a heckler, like one approved heckler. This is a great idea. I love it. And it, it also makes me think about the, uh, I think it was the White House Correspondents Dinner. I think that was it where Obama was there. And then um, and then Key from Key and oh, Peele yeah. came out because he he would play Obama and personate Obama and his and he like translated <laughs> for him. Do you remember that? Like That's another another format we could go on. Anyway, as usual, I digress. The last point getting to your Jackson Hole sipping martinis point is uh, is basically just credibility. The Federal Reserve, because things have gotten as far as they've gotten, and we've been talking about trans making a, you know, language like transitory and whatnot about uh, about saying what inflation is like from a credibility standpoint, you really do need to show that you're willing to fight it as aggressively as it has fought us. That was the last point. Yeah. So that's another reason for. Yep. 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 It, and in this case. When he went on for 18 months talking about transitory, and I'm talking about Jay Powell here, if he would have started with 50 basis point increases 12 months earlier, we'd already be at 3 to 4% where the target is. So that's another reason why you can set the record straight by being like, listen, I missed on this. We missed on this. It's okay. It happens. We never claim it to be perfect. We're going to fix it, and we're going to fix it as soon as possible. What's the best professional advice that most of us has ever got that's if you do something stupid you own it and you fix it immediately that you know how far that gets you in your professional life Dougals well this is what he should do he should anyway I'm done yeah. I think I've made my opinion clear on this one yeah I mean it's, it's also it also gets back to thinking about what's the the cost of being right and the cost of being wrong like the upside downside of both those situations and like if inflation was transitory, what's the downside of raising rates 0.25 or, you know, it's like doing, doing, taking some action 18 months yeah. ago, like what's the yeah. downside of doing that? And the upside is maybe you're getting ahead of something like, cause they could even, they could have skipped meetings, like done 0.25, not done and anything. And then held. Point, yeah. yeah. Like yep. there, there's more room to play, but. Anyway, you know, there was a lot going on back then. So, alas, I thought that was interesting because we just had that combo. And so I wanted to bring in some some other viewpoints into it. Seems like you landed in the same place. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, I love it. Thanks for bringing that back. So remember when we talked about Sun Microsystems and their CEO during the dot-com bubble, Scott McNeely. Scott McNeely. Yep. Scott Sorry. McNeely, thank you. Yep. Saying, if you buy anything at... Uh, price to revenue of 10 plus you're it's a losing game like don't do it and this is as his stock 
the stock of the company that he is the CEO of is trading north of that metric. So, you know what has always seemed like a great investment in uh, at least our lifetime, Dougals? It's been professional sports franchises, right? Always seemed like a great metric. Well, the Denver Broncos just sold to one of the Walmart heirs. I think his name is Rob Walton for $4.65 billion. This is the largest sale of a professional franchise in North America, if I have that correctly. Any guess on what they sold for on simply a price to revenue metric? 15. Nine times revenue. So not quite 15. Well, you said 10. I mean, I just assumed it's going to be above 10. The last NFL franchise to sell was in uh, 2018. And it sold for six times revenue. Do you have any hot takes here? You think this is still a good market? When, if you read the detailed breakdown in Sportico about the finances behind this transaction, one of the phrases they use is scarcity value, which just made me smile. I assume you know what scarcity value is, right? There's only 32 of these things. I mean, my thought is these aren't investments, I think, for for folks a lot of times like it it's something that might happen to go up but it's like your it's your toy so or your showpiece right and so like i don't know nine times eight times ten times four times who cares just like how do i get it yeah Can you're exactly it? right this is like i'm super rich and i want to brag about owning uh nfl team the interesting thing on the finance side is he gets to write off $4 billion of that purchase uh, to offset income, which in a way, if you're a Walmart heir and you're just collecting massive dividends, might be an incredibly valuable thing for you that makes this transaction, like the standalone transaction of buying the Broncos, you might not actually make any money on. But the tax write-off of $4 billion that you can use for the next decade might be a huge deal. So yeah, that's, that's funny to me. So then don't but, you want to pay as much as possible? Uh, no, I mean, you don't. <laughs> no, it's much still you first take? and foremost about bragging about I own an NFL team. So, <laughs> but if that's the case, uh, dear Mr. Walton, I can sell you something for a billion dollars. I got something in my, my podcast studio. I'll find it here, like a old stuffed animal or something. If you need a tax break. Yeah. Call it an NFT. It. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> All right. Switching gears, I'm reaching to the fishbowl. What is the most, the most, number one, famous movie quote of the 1980s? Uh, Hey, you guys. You, you might be right. What I'm going to say is not right. Nobody puts baby in the corner. Oh, no, that's actually, you're right. Yeah. You're right. That's it. But do you know who you do put in the corner? Uh, Jay Powell. Michael Saylor. <laughs> He belongs in the corner, man. (laughs) This week, Michael Saylor of Skippy and Dougal's Talk Investing fame, who we have been talking about for a year or so because he took his analytics company and used the proceeds and a lot of debt and whatnot that's that's been raised to buy Bitcoin. He's got HODL Bitcoin eyes and all that kind of stuff. This week, he was removed as a CEO and made executive chairman. So he just holds executive chairman position and someone else has made the CEO. That's what happened this week. So he, and the the descriptions that I saw as to what his responsibilities would be, makes me picture that he could only be in a corner. 
Like that's just like the, and I don't mean corner office, like even corner of the boardroom. I know you've read some pieces on that too. Spit some, spit some hot takes or lyrics on it. No, I mean, the article that the journal did on this was just a little confusing. Um, the title was Michael Saylor bet billions on Bitcoin and lost, which I think we could say is true. But the so they talk about him being removed. But then his quotes at the end, and maybe he's just in a defiant, rebellious thing. He just basically says it was always planned for me to step aside from CEO and we're not selling any Bitcoin and I will continue to manage our Bitcoin portfolio. Oh, and by the way, the stock price is higher than it was when I started buying Bitcoin. So I'm a genius. I mean, uh, let me pause. Just what's your take on that quote? Is it is that just defiance? And it, it was he really like, thrown to the corner or is there more going on here and we have some misleading headlines it uh, you know i don't know what secession planning look like at the organization so i can't comment on that but it would feel surprising to me that all along the plan of the company was to take the ceo and have them manage their bitcoin holdings <laughs> incredibly well said <laughs> There, there's one thing that got me fired up about those quotes, and that was him saying the stock price is worth more than it was. Well, he took out billions of dollars worth of debt to buy an asset that currently has some value. We, I don't want to get into Bitcoin and the true intangible value of Bitcoin because that could, that's the debate I don't want to deal with here. But of course, the stock price is worth more now i think they say this market cap is like 3.1 billion dollars and they have three billion dollars worth of bitcoin holdings like he took the company stock and made it just a gauge of the current price of bitcoin not a gauge of the so if if i have a company or if i have a house right and my house is worth whatever uh 500k and then i go to the bank and get a million dollars and put a million dollars in cash in my closet, my house is worth $1.5 million, not because of my house. Like, so that, that discussion point is just like, it's completely irrelevant, man. It, and, and he hasn't started really paying down the debt for, that's owed on this Bitcoin. And that's where the company gets in really trouble. And I think becomes insolvent if the price of Bitcoin doesn't rise in the yeah. by the time the debt matures uh, you're absolutely right because the, the right comparison is is the company worth more now than it would have been if you did not start buying bitcoin and instead focused yeah. on analytics than it was because you took out three billion dollars and now it's worth three billion dollars yeah that it, that's absolutely it this is a i mean we we talked about it from the get-go like it's just bizarre if nothing else it, it's it's just really really bizarre that you do this and if you michael saylor founded the company back in the 1990s right and so he's 25 or so years whatever it is into this organization yeah. that's the only way that you're allowed to do this ridiculous true true right and so yeah it's, it's just it's just a bizarre story it's such a bizarre story and it didn't really, it's not like it ended. I mean, the drama with MicroStrategy continues until they decide to do something with their Bitcoin 
portfolio or until the price goes back to like north of $35,000 a coin. I mean, yeah, it's a, it, like the the new CEO is in quite a pickle. If you're effectively, you're running a $100 million company at this point, <laughs> right? From a, with $3 billion in debt that your eccentric grandfather is managing from the corner of your boardroom. Like, what is your strategy? That's a, that's, it's a tough, <laughs> that's a tough position to be in. Yeah. And you're asked to run the company without doing anything to your Bitcoin holdings. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> like, what? Oh, Completely man. pointless. Yeah. What's next for you? Oh, I want to suck dollar stores, believe it or not. Americans are spending more money on essential products at dollar stores. You know how you have what you have, the Dougal's indicator and the Dougal's, I forget what we call the Dougal's recession tool. Um, you you all have all these metrics. They're all indicators. I, I had one this week that was, if you walk around like your typical grocery store, People just seem a little less happy and a little more stressed about the price they're seeing. And what's funny for me is usually all my metrics are very quantitative. That's a complete qualitative. Like, I just feel that if you watch the faces of your people when they're in the act of consuming, they're less happy than they were 12 months ago. But there's there's now a lot of data that seem to be showing that. And so... I don't know, Douglas. What does this mean? First of all, do you believe it? Second of all, what's this mean for the next six months plus? Um, I absolutely believe the the shift to dollar stores. Be- and if for no other reason, it's because it's confirmation bias for me. <laughs> um, because I loaded up on some Dollar General in anticipation of a market downturn. Oh, dig you. There we go. And by loaded up, it's like a pretty small percent of my portfolio. But yeah, but yeah, and still. Um, but so confirmation bias. So I believe that the happiness thing. I mean, people have to what you mentioned, there's been like a lot of variables that have shown that people are just getting less and less happy, like over uh, over the last few years. And so I can imagine that with inflation where it is, I mean, it's a it's hard to to go from a place where the government was feeding you a bunch of cash. And so you had excess, like buku excess cash in comparison for the first time potentially ever. And now you're at a place where you can't afford the organics that you want. Right. And you got to put, you got to put a uh, salt and spices on your, on your canned veggies. Right. Like that's, that's, a, it's hard. I, the equation I always like to throw out for happiness is happiness equals expectations minus reality. And when folks have had these higher expectations over the last couple of years, and now this is the reality, like that's a, that's tough. Yeah, that's really a great way to put it, uh, to, to put it. And it, it better articulates the point of the folks living paycheck to paycheck in this country for the first time in a long time actually had excess savings and paid down their credit cards rapidly when they were getting the extra stimulus stuff from the government. And there's tons of data that shows uh, bank accounts went to places they hadn't been in a long time in terms of saving rates and other things. So you're right. You did almost, it's possible that your expectations increase because of that. But then it's still been a, a really challenging 24 months with COVID related stuff with wars and, and everything else. And now 
when you've raised your expectations and things became so much more costly in what seems like a very quick manner. Yeah, it feels like a gut punch, I think. It goes back. What I can't remember exactly how we framed it, but when we were talking about dollar stores some point in the last year, we were discussing the idea of like food deserts and the question of responsibility that you that a dollar store could have to yeah. have like yep. fresh fruit, fresh veg- veggies and all that kind of stuff. And um, and in reading this piece that you'd sent over to me, it just raised that again because people are living out of the the dollar store, you know, veggie line and like this is what they have access to dollar store oh sorry dollar general family dollar i think were the two that were named particularly yep. in this piece but yeah it raised that same thing it's there, there's an example here of someone who is unable to drive and so uh previously they'd take an uber or something to more like a a typical grocery store stock up you know shop once a week and now between the uh increased costs for the Uber or the transportation, the increased cost of the grocery, what they do instead is they walk to the Dollar General because it's the it's the one place that's within three miles of their house, right? And so it just like that's part of Dollar General's business strategy is to try and find a place that's far away from your more typical so-called normal grocery store. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it was funny that this article specifically talked about trying to purchase a nutritious meal at the dollar store because of what's happening in the economy around us dollar stores keep coming up on the skippy and Douglas talk investing podcast who would have thought i I never thought we would have talked about it and it's a (laughs) monthly thing all right what's next for you all right uh so going back to farnham street it's a website that i i really enjoy reading sometimes they come out with a which is interesting like thought-provoking topics really love it so in this post that I'm going to talk about, uh, it also brings up another person or another set of literature, I guess I'll say, that I enjoy by Richard Feynman. So do you know Richard Feynman? Yeah. Okay. Book I recommend for folks out there in the world is Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman. Richard Feynman uh, was a physicist, like just a brilliant, brilliant guy, like absolutely brilliant. and also had like this was like a human could like write like a person and it was humorous and like it's enjoyable to read the stuff that he wrote he that he wrote um <laughs> he uh is able to take really complex topics and break them down simply so the everyday person like with analogies can understand them it's just like really cool so that's a book recommendation surely you're joking mr Feynman. anyway so this uh this post was about how to separate signal from noise and there were seven tips from Richard Feynman that they broke down here. Uh, and there's the uh, the quality of the piece really goes into, uh, oh, sorry, comes from Richard Feynman's like quotes that they bring up and the analogies and the anecdotes that come out. We're not going to go into all those today, but we'll put it out on Twitter and the Substack so you can check them out. But I'm just going to go over the high level points. Here they go. Here are the tricks. So first, when you're talking to somebody, figure out if they know their stuff. Like this one was the most straightforward. <laughs> like, and and specific, uh, specifically, what they're talking about here is there are some people that will act like they know their stuff, but they're just copying from somewhere else. 
It yeah. makes me think about the scene in uh, in Goodwill Hunting. If you've seen, that's Good exactly Hunting. what I was gonna say. Yeah, right? he he's just like, well, then you read this, and then you read this, and then you read this, and and now you're gonna read this. You should read this, but you have no clue. What you're, you're just regurgitating information. Exactly. Yeah. And so what he was saying is that the people that do know their stuff, you'll you can tell they do because they'll say what they do know, they'll say what they don't know, and they'll give you the principles that they would use to figure out what they don't know, which might include bringing in people that do know it. It's just like it's a it's a much more credible. Um, discussion you have with someone here's so. the thing i think i've learned and that's um typically the people that know their stuff are more likely to say they don't know yeah uh, if parts of it or yeah. um more likely to say well that's really complex and we need to come on the skippy and Dougal show to debate it for 45 minutes exactly that's yeah. you know someone knows their stuff when they decide to come on the skippy and Dougal show that's like <laughs> that's the ultimate sign of of knowledge agreed the second point is learn to work with uncertainty by belief updating. And I'm not, I'm not reading these verbatim, by the way. These are like my interpretations yeah. of, of, the, of the tricks. So learn to work with uncertainty and do it by belief updating. So it's, uh, it's basically like be willing to, as you get more information, to, to shift, right? And so <clears throat> you may have thought from a signal and noise perspective, you may have thought you had the ultimate signal, but as more info comes in shift around. The third is use different types of experiments. So don't just don't just go about trying to figure out an answer in one way. Like try and figure out the answer from multiple different angles. Triangulation is like another way that that, that comes out. That's a good right? one. This one was interesting. Ask if something is true, rather than could it be true? My takeaway from from this one is that the could something be true is oftentimes going back to confirmation bias that I mentioned before. It's oftentimes where people can fall because it it it's easily more susceptible to confirmation bias. If you're just like, I want to make I, I can find the data points that show that the thing that I thought was true could be true. And once I see that it like it's possibly true, then like then I'm done. And he's saying that, that that's where people often leave off, but they don't often get to the point of like, is it actually true? Like, is what you're looking at show that that's true or that it's just possibly the case? Yeah, I read this brilliant book that brings up a similar point, and I wish I could remember the title off the top of my head, but it, it said you should frequently ask um, what assumptions would be required for that to be true. And so if you reframe the question that way, you know, you're in the board meeting with the execs and they're saying, we're going to get to 500 million in sales next year. It's like, well, Ha what assumptions have to happen for us to get there and then a lot of times when you talk through those assumptions you realize that one that's either a really long list or two there's some assumptions baked in that are really difficult to achieve and all of a sudden it reframes it in a way where you go you know what because we can't check those five boxes we're not getting to 500 million dollars in sales next year and here's a more realistic goal yep that i think that's a it's a great way to think about that great way to think about that and also going you know uh, going back to like the investing world i think it's super useful yeah of if you're if you're investing in whatever this asset is what must be true for it to then get to whatever that higher your sell price right that you're thinking of it as and and if the answer is hopes and dreams must be true <laughs> right then <laughs> i mean to each their own all right the next one is don't use the same data that you use to create the hypothesis 
to test the hypothesis. <laughs> Which it's like that's a good one though. Like, yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. This this next one is uh, anecdotes aren't data. And really, the, the important there's an important letter in here, which is the letter S, is that anecdotes aren't data, which I, I, I think that that's important because I, the actual thing is like a per, plurality of anecdote, right, is like the way that's actually framed in here. Yeah. But the, the reason I think that that's important is because one anecdote, I think people could easily be like, yeah, you, you just heard that somewhere. Like that obviously isn't it. But then when someone hears it like three times, then you go, okay, now, now I think it's true. You said it, and you said it, and you said it. Now that's like multiple anecdotes. So must be true. And I think it's important to say, like, no, even a plurality of anecdotes does not make something true. Yeah, and let's just call me an idiot here, because my walking around the grocery store thing is completely meaningless. And if anyone says we're in a recession because I saw some people at the grocery store that looked like they were having a tough day, like... Dr. Feynman <laughs> would like to have a word with you. Yeah. All right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the last, watch out for unknown unknowns. Yeah. So That's important. The last. Yeah. That's the last. And there's, I also like that when you look at the seven, like there's a lot of overlap in them that like, uh, like even the last one, right? Watch out for unknown unknowns. And the first one's around, like, does someone know their stuff and being able, as you were saying, being able to say, I don't know. It's like that. If you aren't able to say, I don't know, or someone is not able to say, I don't know, then you're not going to get to the unknown unknowns because you've already sealed it up. So it's pretty good. We'll, we'll put that out there. Uh, Farnham Street, thank you for always throwing out genius, other people's genius sometimes, but it's like a great collection of stuff. Really good stuff. Thanks for walking through that. So you know how sometimes like British English and American English, there's just things get lost in translation there. This is like a a trousers or a trainer situation like you know what i'm talking about here <laughs> i better stop so i'm convinced that this had to happen with the wall street journal article i read on the the bank of england because the article says this exactly Diggles. it says the bank of england offered a particularly bleak outlook for the uk saying the economy was poised to enter a recession that would last for five consecutive quarters starting in the final three months of the year that's actually what the article says but i think someone in the bank of england wrote about trousers and this guy in america thought it was pants and it or you know thought those were shorts and they're actually pants or something what could could they actually be saying with this much certainty <laughs> this is the recession you will have and this is exactly what it will look like i mean look i think that they might just be coming off of the playbook that the us is trying to run which says like the data doesn't say when there's a recession we say when there's a recession <laughs> we say yeah listen our national bureau of economic research the uk equivalent has already decided like we already wrote the report that the next five quarters are yeah. a recession and it doesn't matter what's happening in the economy it's done exactly deal. sir no one has jobs not a recession it's a, it says it was going to end not a recession yeah that is that is it's so exact that i i agree with you that it feels like there's no way that that is the quote that came out of the uk <laughs> you never know yeah. that's pretty funny it's pretty funny i can't anything else on your end uh, I got I've one one more thing. It's really just like a thought, though. The way that the market movements come from expectations and surprises. 
Um, surprises can happen in the positive direction. They can have the negative direction. Like if you think about the earnings of one organization, just to take it there, right? There's um, expectations for earnings per share. There's expectations for revenue. And depending on where an organization falls around those expectations, sometimes you might have to blow away your expectations to have any movement. Sometimes you blow them away, right? And yeah. you go down. But anyway, it's all it's about expectations. And right now, we discussed earlier that the expectations, there's an expectation around what interest rates are going to do. There's expectations around what earnings are going to do. And the thing that's going in my head is like, what's the next surprise? Like, I'm, I'm, just, I'm curious as to what the surprise is going to be. Because we're in this moment where the market's been going up, right? July was a hot month for the markets. Uh, August so far, it's early. It started to go up again. We don't know if this is going to last or not, but but it just it spurred my thinking that I think a lot of the reason why the markets are going up is that the expectations that were set around interest rates and around earnings have just been happening for the most part, right? And so we went, we already discounted the market. It's doing what we expected, so we can it can start we can start buying again. And I'm wondering what the next surprise is going to be. Yeah, that take is um, interesting to me. I think it's right, but uh, I think about it a different way. Um, and I think this is like the value investor tilt, right? I know that if equities I hold miss expectations, that there will probably be a short term reaction to that. But I also know that if you like pile positive earnings releases and strong cash flow quarter after quarter after quarter that eventually it doesn't matter what the stupid analysts you know what they're they're writing on the back of the envelope to come up with the fact that they think it should be 28 cents the earnings should be 28 cents per share instead of 29 or whatever else so like i guess i'm just processing that because i try and disregard expectations because i think that can play short term games with your head but I agree. That's how the majority of people in the market act, especially over the short term. What is the next surprise is something I just have no idea of. I did read this morning. I don't have the stat in front of me that this recovery within a bear market is one of the more significant recoveries in terms of percent increase of the S&P 500. So that's kind of interesting. The debate there is like, well, have we actually turned the corner or is this just one of the longest recovers within a bear market when you look historically over the last 45 years? I don't know. There's the the what it's going to be and when it's going to be, you know, questions which who no one knows, right? As we've said many times, you can't predict this stuff, but it feels like to me it's going to be based around the fact that going back to fragility, the the word of 2021, that is going to be based upon the fact that things happen gradually then suddenly and when yeah. you have the amount of fragility especially around in my mind it's around um i'm going to call it cash crunch related to like debt i think either either on the consumer side or on the corporate side or both we're going to see something that comes out of left field there um related my, to debt related to cash flow because of debt yeah okay um, and it, and it kind of, it goes on the consumer side for me. We, I mean, we've chatted about this a bit. It goes back to even the dollar store conversation that we were having a bit ago is that there's been this, I haven't quite believed it, but there's been this, um, this narrative that's existed for the past quarters, year plus around how healthy consumers are. 
And I believe the numbers, right? We've talked about the numbers. It's like, yeah, you have high cash balances and all that, but it's the, the healthy part I haven't quite believed. Like it, it, that just doesn't make any sense to me because you see the way people are spending right? and you can fast forward a little bit and kind of see where that movie starts to end. So I could see it there. And it's the the spending and the jobs are like the big thing for me that people, they're, they're not holding on to what they have. People are not holding on to what they have and expecting going back to expectations, expecting that like a better job uh, is could be potentially around the corner. The grass is greener. I was reading something in the past couple of weeks around how the people that are making that have had the highest wage increases are those that have switched jobs. Right. And and I think that that trend will probably continue for a bit until you go to switch jobs and there is not a job or you go to switch jobs and there is a riff. Right. Or whatever it might be. And then you don't have that backstop. Like we're playing with fire, I think, a bit on the consumer side. And the companies have been playing with fire forever. I mean, the number of zombie companies that exist out there. Right. But it's it's these the surprise is gonna matter. It's like the company that never would have had the layoff. Like if Berkshire Hathaway lays off 25% of its staff or something like that. Well, not yeah. not actual corporate staff because they have like seven people. And, yeah. You know, but it's you know, some, it's like something like that that you go, whoa. Like when Tom Hanks got saying going back, that's when Tom Hanks got a coronavirus. It's like it's that equivalent. You see, uh, Robin had laid off twenty three percent of their employees this week. Yeah. Now yeah. that was after a couple of months ago they did like five to eight percent or something. Yeah, something so in single digits. Then uh, Bill Gurley was fired up about this is why you take the deep cut first rather than the just the you, you can imagine that corporate culture right i've been through stuff like that where you have two small uh workforce reductions rather than one big one and that really hurts company morale because people are always going well when's the next one coming gosh i just don't know it it's so i don't feel like the consumer is healthy as healthy as the metrics seem to imply they are at the moment to your first point but i'm just clueless as to the future at this point i think that the next 12 months will be really interesting agreed we'll wait and see you never know but that was just the question that's been sitting in my mind as i've been watching the rally is what's the what's the next surprise so yeah i wanted to raise that here cool thanks man all right guys uh rate and review as we mentioned earlier Uh, listener mail we love listener mail send us skippydoogles at gmail.com thanks so much